0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson.
1: Well, I'd like you to look here at Mark chapter uh, 10 that Charles read to us in verse 28 through verse 31, where Peter asked a question that everybody else was thinking about. It's always great to have a certain kind of guy there named Peter who will say what nobody else is willing to say. And he does. After Jesus talked about the rich young ruler, and it's harder to get a rich man into heaven uh, than it is uh, a camel through the eye of a needle, well, Peter now chimes in in verse 28, and he says, Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Meaning, what's in it for us? That what do we get out of this? All of us have asked that at some point. All of this devotion. What do we get out of this? Well, his answer in verse 29, 30, and 31 it's going to be essentially this, and whatever you have to sacrifice and give up now, that you're going to receive back in this present day more than you ever imagined, and in the age to come upon my return and the begin of eternity, that there will be bounty and there will be blessings there. But he's also going to mention the word no one who has left house. And verse 30, along with persecutions, there is sacrifice and there is pain. And so I am going to give back to you. He's not going to answer specifically of how I'm going to do this, but you can trust me that I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you've done. And now and then there is going to be blessing but it's going to be a narrow, uphill road. It is following the rugged path of the elect of God. But you do this, and when it's said and done, as it goes along, it's gonna get better and better. Do y'all remember when Jesus turned water into wine? That was his first miracle. One theologian said it so great. He said, the water saw its creator and blushed. (laughs) I wish I'd have said that it was his first miracle just as God's first miracle was creation so Christ moves upon the surface of the deep he speaks in his heart and water is changed to wine and uh, after he did it only the servants knew what had happened only those that drew the water understood same as today only they understand Christ the servant and they understood what he did And they took it to the head waiter. They said, taste this. And the head waiter said something so indicative of Christ and the coming ministry that he would have. He said, every man serves the good wine first. And then after men have drunk freely, after their tongues are numb, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) After they have gotten COVIDized, all right, and they can't taste nothing. (laughs) After you have served the good wine, then you bring out the Mogan David 2020. You bring out that Mad Dog 40. Strawberry Hill. Now you can't taste anymore because that's the way that Satan works. I'll give you the pleasures of sin first, and then we'll pay the piper later on after you become benumbed. You know, that's the way Satan is uh and that great christian movie devil's advocate with al pacino that's a joke don't watch that movie <laughs> right. but al pacino plays the best devil that has ever been played he's scary but he as the incarnation of satan says to an equally great actor keanu reeves who was just finished shakespeare at the time and he was, was doing this movie and he says to keanu reeves God, you're talking about the absentee landlord that you don't see and he doesn't act quick? Yeah. And he says to Keanu Reeves, who he's going to take over the world through Keanu Reeves because he's a lawyer. (laughs) All right. I'll just leave that. Don't email me. All right. But he says to him, I'm the fan of man. That was chilling Satan says, I'm the fan of man. What do you want? You want liquor? You want drugs? You want sex? You want, you got it right now. How much do you want? Take it till you can't take it no more. You don't need faith. You don't need patience. Got it right now. I'll give it to you. Any longing that you have right now, it's yours. Is that Satan? You bet. And when men have drunk freely, then it's payday. The Pleasures of sin are but for a season. The wage of sin, death. But we'll talk about the fiddler later on and what has to be paid. But then they said to Jesus, you've waited till the end for the best wine. And that's always the way Christ is. That you take the, the cross and then you take the crown with Satan, it gets worse and worse as you get numbed and numbed and numbed. Christ, it gets better and better and better. So Jesus is going to say, you're going to get 100 times more now and in the life to come, eternal life. You're going to have to wait on me. Well, let's watch what he says. What, is, what do we get out of this? He's going to say five things. He says in verse 29, that there are going to be sacrifices that you have to make. If you're going to serve me, there's gonna have to be some, if you're going to make disciples of all nations, if you're gonna preach to all creation, if you're gonna go to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth, that you may have to leave house, brothers, sisters, mothers, Father, children, and farms for my sake and the gospel's sake. It is going to be costly. As you lay up your Isaac, incidentally, which is harder to sacrifice, yourself or your only son? Your only son. Abraham, I want your only son. Isaac, I want Jacob. I want your son. Jacob, I want Joseph. Your son. God, what will you give? My only son. And so there will be sacrifices that you will make. Uh, Sometimes you leave things because you walk away from them. Sometimes you leave them because they're taken away from you. But this world cannot become sacrosanct to you, it can't become something that is sacred. I am sacred not the world. There was a guy named C.T. Studd. He was an English Cambridge scholar and son of an English lord looking forward to service in the house of whatever. We got him, Nate. that's him in the 1850s. That's a young man, Charles S. Studd. And, or C.T. Studd. He was an English cricketer. He was one of the most famous athletes in England. He was a Cambridge scholar. He was of noble family, and he became a Christian through the ministry of Dwight Moody. And he went into missions, and that was unheard of for Cambridge men to give up their training to be the lords of England. He walked away from it, and he went to China as a missionary. Matter of fact, he gave away his inheritance. He saved 5,000 pounds and his wife-to-be said, no, give it. That's the kind of woman you wanna marry, okay. She said, give it, and so he gave it to a fledgling institution at the time that was called Moody Bible of Chicago and got it going. And at the age of 70, you know what C.T. Studd then did? He became a missionary to Africa. He took off to Africa and gave his life there. And he had had a heart problem and the pain was so intense it was going to sideline him. And so he willingly made himself dependent upon morphine. And he said, I can die on my terms or I can die on death's terms. I will die on mine. And so he kept his heart out of pain until finally he died. And it was C.T. Studd who made the statement, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then there is no sacrifice too great that I can make for him. John the Apostle said of missionaries, they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the nations, free of charge. Therefore, we ought to support such men as these. So they walked away from everything. The book of Hebrews says sometimes you don't just walk away, sometimes it's taken from you. Hebrews says this, therefore, he writes to the Jews that are becoming Christians, let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach, because here we don't have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. I taught that message once over at the uh, Summerall Center, when we were over there years ago, and a Jewish doctor who had become a Christian came up to me and just took my hand and held it and tried to thank me because he understood what that verse meant. Let us go to him outside the camp, rejected by the sociological structure of the time, bearing his reproach. You've got to leave your family. And he did it. He became a doctor, became a Christian, and his family turned his picture to the ground and they turned his picture to the wall. And he, his eyes filled up with tears because he knew what that meant. And so sometimes it's taken away. The apostle Paul said, whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him. That's all I care about, is that when I die, they find me in Christ. Christ, that's it. And so, sometimes we walk away from it, and sometimes it's going to walk away from us. And so he says, that's part of the deal. Do you all know anybody else that left everything he had to come and give his life for others? It's called Jesus. So we get to play the part. Well, the second thing is in verse 30 that God is going to pay you back in a way that you might not understand. That He will receive a hundred times as much. What's the next word? In your Bible, in English, in letters. He will receive a hundred times as much now. You don't have to wait for pie in the sky. He'll receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. The Greek says, now at this time. He'll receive houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. In other words, you may lose a family and a culture, but I'm going to give you a bigger one. I'm going to give you what you don't even understand. If Jesus had said to them, I'm going to give you the family of God and the body of Christ, they would have no idea what he was talking about. I'm going to give you a brand new family. Incidentally, a little hermeneutical observation. What word did he leave out in verse 30 that he put in verse 29? 29, house, brothers, sister, mother, father, children, farms. Verse 30, house, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms. He left out the word fathers from verse 29. Mother or father or children or farms. Why? Because now you have a new father. Who's your new father? God. He'll take care of you. So you're going to begin a relationship with God. Let me show you something. Go to your right to Acts 4. This is something that's old time to us, but it's brand new to the Apostle Paul and everybody else. You know, in the early Christian church, one of the reasons for the persecution against us is they thought we were committing mass incest. Did y'all know that? Because we referred to each other in a term that no culture referred to itself as we spoke of each other as brothers and sisters and going to a love feast. And they thought that that was incestuous. They didn't understand the intimacy of the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, it says the congregation of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. That's called the new covenant when your hearts are knit in the grace of God. You're close. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. In other words, if I got a dollar, you got a dollar. This is called socialism that is not commanded, but is willingly given. It's the only socialism that works, the kind where you willingly give what is yours because of the grace of God. Nobody commanded them. In verse 33... With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all because there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as had any need. No one commanded that. It just happened. Why did they do it? They had to, because if I got a dollar, you got a dollar. We're family now. Jesus is saying, you may lose a family, but you're going to get the biggest family you have ever seen. Turn your page over to Acts 28. Paul went through three shipwrecks. This was one of them. In Acts 28, they get shipwrecked. They end up on the Isle of Malta. You ever eat over at the Egg House? The guy that runs that place, it's from Malta. You just go over there and look at him and say, you look like a Maltese to me. How about uh, 20% off? (laughs) Well, in Acts 28, Paul is on the Isle of Malta. And in verse 8, the father of Publius the head guy on the island was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and had cured. And they honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. Paul started a church on Malta. As a matter of fact, the guy that's there at Egg House told me that they have a monument there where Paul landed In Malta. And so Paul has instant brothers. Who? The Maltese. Where'd they come from? I was an obstetrician. I delivered them. They became Christians. And then in verse 12, after we put in at Syracuse, we sailed there for three days. And from there we sailed around and arrived at Regium. There on the toe of Italy. And a day later, south wind sprang up. And on the second day we came to Puteoli. And there we found brethren. And we were invited to stay with them for seven days. You ever invited a strange Christian to stay with you for seven days? What did Benjamin Franklin say? Fish and guests get stinky after three days. He said, they found brethren and they said, come stay with us. Why? Paul didn't know who they were, had no idea who they were. They knew he was, the Apostle Paul. Come stay with us. Why? Verse 14 We're brothers, we're family. Verse 15, and the brethren, when they heard about us, came as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And then he enters Rome and he preaches in Rome and he's held for two years. And it says in verse 30, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and is welcoming all who came to him preaching the gospel, he has brothers in Rome, brothers at three ends, brothers at Appius, brothers at Puteoli, brothers at Syracuse, brothers at Malta. Just like Jesus said, Paul would write his letters and he would say to the saints and faithful brethren who are at Ephesus. You know, all of us have experienced this. I know when, when I became a Christian, I went to a campus crusade meeting, and I was the only athlete there. I had only hung out with athletes all of my life, and here were Kendall types, all right? They were normal people, and I found a bond in them that I didn't find among athletes. We could talk at a level and about things that everybody else was alien to. we had a conference called Solution Bowl down in Dallas at the Royal Roach Inn, Royal Coach Inn. And we, about 1,500 of us went there. And you all remember the 70s? There was just, it was the Jesus Revolution. The 60s had failed. The drugs had failed. Altamont Freeway, Altamont had failed. And we came together. And we listened to Howard Hendricks and Bill Bright and Josh McDowell and just excite us about a life serving Christ. And I remember that entire, I looked around, there were 1,500 people as or more rabid than I was about the gospel. I stayed with a guy in the, in the Royal Coach. He was from LSU, and he was talking to another guy from LSU. I can't remember his name, but he sounded like Mr. Haney on uh, Green Acres. He <laughs> like was like, Liz, And he was asking him about the tribulation. And this little guy starts explaining to him things I had never heard. And this guy was my age, but he's way over my head. And I understood why. He had spent time in the Bible. And I just sat there and listened to him. And I went, whoa, ain't that something? He was quoting scripture that way. And I found brothers there. Two guys on the team, John Bowles, Clark Lawrence. We all became Christians at the same time. And I named my second son, John Clark, after those men. We just got close. Uh, I went to Dallas Seminary, and I met young men my age heading for the ministry. And I still correspond with them. We were close. I went to work at Asbury Methodist Church. And there were men who were my father's age that just became my father's. And those men just kind of took me. I remember starting my ministry in Louisville, Texas, and there were men in Louisville that just kind of took me under their wing at Louisville Bible Church. I still think of those men. Uh, I came to Denton Bible, and here was family, you know. There's a coach. Y'all ever heard of Paul Bear Brandt? He coached at a place called Texas A&M. And... uh, His wife said the saddest day in her life was when she drove on to A&M's campus. And the second saddest day was when she left the A&M campus because they were family. And so that's the way it is in the body of Christ. I've got deep friends. First time I did the Song of Solomon conference, I was talking about sex from the Bible. I had to make sure that it wasn't going to start a riot. And so I tried it out in a place called Groover, Texas. Do you ever been to Groover, Texas? Just go to Amarillo Head North, and before you hit the Arctic Circle, <laughs> there's a barbed wire fence. <laughs> and that, on the other side, that's Groover, Texas. And I went to Groover, and I preached the Song of Solomon to them, to all these farmers and oil men. And they loved it. Years later, there's 14 kids there named Saul, Solly, something like this. Conceived and born out of the Song of Solomon. And so I have friends all over this country. I remember when we went to Chepok Russia on a mission trip. And I took them over there. And we could not speak their language. We could understand nothing that was going on. We only had one thing between us and the Chebaksari Russia church. And that was Christ. And they would take us around and we would share our hearts and they would interpret passionately what we had to say. Uh, I remember this. We got time. We went to a spa. I'll ever tell you about that. They were very proud of this Russian spa and uh, Glasnost had just, uh, just perestroika, all that, it, it had, communism had come down. And so they were officially more opening to Americans. And my translator wanted to take me to a Russian spa. And so I went in, and there was a guy working that spa that was uh, an old Russian military guy. And he looked like Leonid Brezhnev. Do you remember him? He looked like a bear. His hairline started right here. (laughs) Went back like this, and he had eyebrows that met right here. And his head was this big, all right. And he was sitting at his desk, and behind him was that picture of linen that you see. There was linen behind him. And I was on his court with Galena Fotina, my translator. And she wanted to, She wanted me to speak to the entire spa. This woman had no shame. All right, I want you to speak to all this spa. And she sat down with him and was she? Would you tell him one of your phone names to Tom Nelson? Would you? What do you want to do with him? I never heard of him. Uh. anybody there, Tom Nelson? anybody there, Tom Nelson? Would you ever get to play with me, Tom Nelson? Tom Nelson. Tom Nelson. And then he looked at me and he says to her, you never get you Nietzsche. Does Tom Nelson read Nietzsche? Y'all know who Nietzsche is? Yeah. Couldn't have communism without Nietzsche. You to Nietzsche. She said to me, he's an atheist. He only believes in Nietzsche. And I said, you tell him that Nietzsche was uh, typing a thesis on why he didn't believe in language. Pretty clever. <laughs> and she went, "Who Tom Nelson? What do you You put the other one the word. you bring to Tom Nelson? tell him if can?" He says, "You will speak to the entire spa, and he will assemble them." And so he sent out the word. You know the Tom Nelson syndrome. And all these ladies got out of the mud baths, <laughs> all right. And they went over and sat before me. And that was the Chebuksari Church. And when we left, they came out on the platform of the train. And we all got on the train to leave. And they stood, all the church stood on the platform crying. And they sang what we didn't understand, but we did understand the tune. It was a mighty fortress is our God. And they sang to us. And I was standing by Jack Manus, who cries at, tri- at, at card tricks. And Dan Heffley, Okay. And they both just, oh, God. I'm holding these two guys like this. And we headed off. And I still correspond. We brought her over here to see America. She got off the plane. She said... It smells sweet. It smells free. And then we took her to a Walmart. (laughs) She fainted. (laughs) She stood in line for everything. And here was Walmart, wall to wall, and people grabbing as they pleased. And she fainted. We held her up. Then we took her to the trail dust and showed her how to two still. <laughs> and she, she quaffed down a couple of pints. Okay. Are you with me? That's the body of Christ. You know, Steve, we didn't ask for that when we got saved. God, I need salvation while I'm here. I need the closest friends that I'll ever have. We didn't ask that. Jesus said, for everything you lost, I'm going to give you back 100 times as much. And I don't think it's merely another family, but what undergirds another family. I'm going to give you the enlightenment to God by the Holy Spirit, call you and convert you to the new covenant, open the Bible before you, give you the joy in your heart that belongs to all the elect of God and the purpose before you of ministry and of an entire new world that awaits you. And you and all these guys are going to have it together. And you're all going to open your Bibles. You're all going to be able to pray. You're all going to be able to sing. You're all going to have a life that no one else in the world has but you. And you're going to have it together. And so God says, I'm going to give you back stuff that is beyond your ability to pray. That you never prayed for something like this. Because it is so great. How many of you in your old pagan lives prayed, God, I really need the baptism of your Holy Ghost to enlighten my heart and put the law as a covenant on my heart where I will be brought to obey you by your will? Did anybody pray that as a pagan? No, but God gave it to you. God, I need a cause so high that I will willingly die for the eternity of knowing Christ. Did anyone ever pray that? in your pagan days, God, would you give me the ability to turn my life around so I can take all my former buddies and get them out of the lake of fire and get them into heaven? Did anybody ever pray that? It was beyond you. And God says, I'm going to give you beyond your wildest dreams. I'm going to give you what you have not only never prayed. I'm going to give you what would have sounded alien to you. I'm going to make hell heaven for you. Isn't that something? And so, you're going to have that right now. You keep looking here, and in verse, uh, where am I? Oh, here we go. Mark 10 and verse uh, 30, at the end of the verse, there'll be houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms, along with, what's the word? Persecutions. You're going to gain a family in verse 38, and you're going to gain an enemy. So be ready. You're going to gain a brand new enemy. The guys that you thought were your friends are going to turn on you real quick if you don't watch it. Now, that's part of the deal. Those are the dues. Peter said, they are surprised that you don't run with them in the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. Why won't you get drunk with us anymore? I don't want to. Why don't you want to? It's wrong. How do you know it's wrong? Jesus said, so you're not going out with us no more. No, you're not going to the gladiatorial games with us now. You're not going drinking with us no. You sorry, weak, ignorant, stupid, disloyal, and on and on and they malign you. Let's know what Jesus said is coming. John 17, 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Would y'all agree that culture is never at rest? Culture is always moving because it's built on man's ideas. Culture is never at rest. The church never moves if it's done right. Because we're not listening to what the culture says. I'm not listening to what a bunch of washed out commies said in 1923 in Frankfurt, Germany, that gave us the critical race theory. I don't care what they said. I wanna know what God said. Culture is moving. Christianity is an anchor of the soul. And as a result, we hold up a Bible before anybody that says this is final truth and this Bible judges you. Uh, We are those that say, uh, we have the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We have final right and wrong. I'm this. That's wrong. Why? The Bible says. People ask me, what do you think about homosexuality? What do you think about lesbian? What do you think about transgender? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about all this stuff? And I stop them and I say, wait a minute. Let's get some assumptions out of the way. I'm a Christian, a Christian. Christ is the title given to the second person of the Trinity that came to earth in the womb of Mary and God united himself with humanity and he is called the chosen one. And he is the only one who as God and man can die upon a cross and be punished for our sins, made to be seen, and that he rose from the dead victoriously and ascended to glory, and the third person of the Trinity now takes his knowledge and bestows it upon those God chooses, where they by can become enlightened to the word of God and spend eternity with him. Can you dig it? Denton Record Chronicle. All right. Are you with me? Now, that being said, When you ask me what I think about something beyond reason and science, that's what I'm going to tell you, is what the Bible says. I don't argue with men who create the universe and rise from the dead. I go with what they say. So when you ask me, what about homosexuality? What about divorce? What about this and that and that? You're asking me what I've read. Can you dig it? I'm going to tell you what it says in black and white. That's what it says. And so we're the people that run around and are able to judge our society and say that is wrong. Does society particularly like that? No. And we are able to say what is waiting on them. It is the lake of fire. Nice guys finish last. Bad guys go to hell. And that's the fact and so we're able to say that to them. We are natural enemies of philosophy where man goes into himself to find ultimate truth. We don't go into ourselves; We go outside to what God says. We are the natural enemies of society built on that psychology and sociology that are the fruit of the tree. We are the natural enemies of human religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Shintoism, Islam, yada, yada are man trying to work his way to God. Biblical salvation is God coming down to man to bring man back to him. And so we are the natural enemy of that. We're the natural enemy of government that goes rogue and suddenly takes upon itself divinity. We are the natural enemy of culture and its morals that continually slide. We're the guys that stand. And so Christ said, you're going to have persecutions. How does the book of Revelation know the true saint? It says they endured because of the blood of the lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and because they did not love their own life, even until death. That is a Christian. And so that goes with the turf. But if you look at the fourth thing, that someday at the end of verse 30, that in the age to come, eternal life. The Bible says there is a world unseen, prophesied, it is coming and it is enchanted. How many of you remember Hal Lindsey? Anybody remember one of the books he wrote that got so famous? There's a new world coming, where basically he took his prophecy notes from Dallas Seminary and published them, made a bunch of money. I wrote a book on depression. I made 12 cents, I believe it was. (laughs) And so there's no money in depression. And so the idea is the world with its bravado and its rejection and its holocaust and its murders and its renunciation and its kicking us out of the public place, it's not the last word. I'm the last word that I will send my son to die, raise him from the dead, then I will gather out my elect. And then after I have been rejected, I will catch them away into glory in the rapture. And then there shall be the tribulation ended with the second coming, world without end. Amen. I have the last word. The age to come. What's it going to be like? 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 2, one of my favorite verses. I has not seen, and ear has not heard, Nor has the heart of man conceived what God has planned for those who love him. What's waiting on you? I'd tell you, but we don't have the vocabulary. As a matter of fact, you don't have the capacity to imagine, and neither do I. It is fitting for a God. And so, he wants you to know that he's going to have the last word. And what it will be in verse 5... But in that day, many first will be last. Going into eternity, many are, who are first, We've just talked to a rich, young ruler that everybody wanted on their team. He didn't want the gospel because he had to give up his self-glorification. And so he turned it away. And Jesus says, just like him in eternity... Many of the pretty guys, the pretty girls, the rich guys, the rich girls, the famous guys, the strong guys, the big guys, the first, the guys you ran for their autographs, they're going to be last. They're going to be paupers. They're going to be, the Bible says, God is intimate with the upright, but the wicked doth he know from afar. I don't even know who you are. Y'all remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus cast at his door, starving. The rich guy wouldn't give him a nothing. He died. Lazarus went to glory. The other guy went into Hades. Can anybody tell me the rich guy's name? Now, you can tell me the tradition, Dives, but from the Bible, can you tell me his name? Now, we know who the poor guy was. Eliezer means God is my help. Lazarus was his name, means God is my help. Question, what was the name of the wealthy man? It's not there. The wicked doth he know from afar. I don't even know who you are. We've never spoken. And so in that day, don't be impressed with what men are impressed with. Because many who are last, as James said, you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the poor that God loves? Uh, And how does he put it in James? That God, he has chosen the poor for salvation and heirs of the kingdom which he made for those who love him. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they that blaspheme the fair name by which you are called? No, the last are first with us. That's why we have no seating chart because we're all God's children. What we would say is we're winners. And so in that day, the guys that are rejected now are gonna be in a place of glory then. So if you're willing to be the last now to leave what you have, to be persecuted, to live for me and my gospel, he says, I have got something waiting on you now and I've got something waiting on you then. Steve Poe, how long have you been a Christian? 50 years. Has it been a wonderful 50 years? Boy, we never asked for it, did it? Steve and I have kind of grown up in the Lord together. Buddy, how long has it been for you? Has it been a wonderful time? Man, I never prayed for what I have now, but God gave it to me a hundred times much. Whatever I gave up, it wasn't worth anything. I gave up a career leading our team to seven wins in four years. It was tough, but I gave it up. So Jesus said, It's all worth it. Amen. What's in it for me? There's stuff now and there's stuff then that if you're willing to bite the bullet, I've got something for you. You just hang in there. You know, back in World War II, the way you listened to World War II was you stayed by a Philco. Anybody have an idea what a Philco is? Big old zenith. You had your big old radio that you listened to it. And uh, I loved to listen to 40s music. Glenn Miller, Artie Shaw, because the 40s were the last time that our country was sane, okay? At least we knew what sanity was. Now we don't know what it is. And uh, a lot of the songs in the 40s as we went through that grind of World War II, a lot of the songs were uh, encouraging the American public. Y'all hang tough, the wrong will fail, the right prevail. You pray, you hang because God is on our side. We are trying to remove an oppressor from his destruction and genocide of a race. You stand firm, we'll fight for this. We'll, we'll purchase our freedom. And so they, they sang about those things. And there was a particular song from a particular guy named Vaughn Monroe. And the name of his song was, When the Lights Come On Again All Over the World. Because during the World War II, you had a lot of blackouts. At night, you had to turn the lights off because those in the air could see you, though you couldn't see them. And you remember the civil defense? Well, the guy would go, turn out that light. It turned turn it out. Y'all remember uh, It's a Wonderful Life? George Bailey was on civil defense. Hey, turn out that light in there. Don't you know there's a war going on? Great scene. And so everything in Europe would go dark at night. And you just lived in fear. Vaughn Monroe said, when the lights come on again, all over the world he said y'all just keep fighting because it wasn't just a military fight the whole country got behind him it was a country's fight when my parents got married they honeymooned in marlin you ever honeymooned in marlin there's only been one known honeymoon in marlin and that was because that was all that my parents gas rations could take them was to marlin and so Everybody struggled. Is this trip necessary? Remember that? We all struggled. And old Vaughn Monroe said, y'all struggle because someday the lights are going to come on again all over the world. Y'all struggle. I've read ahead. We're going to win. We're going to win. Let me tell you something about the culture we're in right now. Here in a little bit, there's going to come a fecal storm. <laughs> I could give you the Greek term on that. But there's going to come a big fecal storm. A guy named Carl Truman wrote a classic work on the emergence and triumph of the modern self. He said, there has never been the case of a country that removed the sacred from their understanding that has survived, none. And we're doing that, amen? I'm sorry y'all are born during this time, I am too, but it's happening. And don't think Babel ain't gonna come down. Educationally, and violence, and morality, and the arts, and common decency, it's coming down. The proudest I have ever been to this church was a couple of months ago, we had a woke and the gospel conference and we took our stand right here and we spoke five men spoke seven times and said the same thing ain't gonna work because it ain't bible this is the bible this what's gonna be done and it ain't being done and you can't take god out from a culture and expect that culture to stand you're not going to get rid of racism just like you're not going to get rid of a, of a fire by dousing it with jet fuel It's not going to work, and that's what the critical race theory is. We are right now the only sane people in our country. You know, when I came out as the guy that was leading, that our church was doing that, I had eight hundred tweets against me. Me, Martin Luther King's daughter tweeted against me. Eight hundred tweets. They were all bound together. They were called knit twits. All right. (laughs) and they all cursed me. Me, my mother loves me. Simply because I had the audacity to say that atheism ain't going to give us a moral solution. That was brilliant. And we stood. And I told my wife before that happened, I said, you know, if I die Monday, I die happy. Because we got to say what's got to be said. And we said it against the culture, against the country, against evangelical Christianity. We stood like uh, Gary Cooper at high noon. Is anybody with me? Everybody was heading for the bars. They were running. Our church stood. And we got, yeah, applaud yourself. And there's going to be a day when they're going to be brooming off the feces, (laughs) that you are going to look real smart because you stood. And that's what you got to do. And so you just keep hanging on until the lights come on all over the world. Listen to what our fathers and our grandfathers listened to. Look at what they looked at, to the words of Vaughn Monroe.
0: A kiss won't mean goodbye But hello to love When the lights go on again All over the world And the ships will sail again all over the world, then we'll have time for things like wedding rings and free hearts will sing when the lights go on again all over the world.
1: You know what picture moved me more than all those pictures. It was a Thanksgiving painting for Saturday Evening Post by Norman Rockwell. It's the end of the war. It's 1945. Do you notice how he pictures it like a cornucopia? They're surrounded by fruit surrounded by vegetables, and in the middle, there is peace. When you look at that GI, he's still in his uniform. He just got home. You notice how he's sitting? How's he sitting? Like a little kid, like a little boy, because he'd sat in that chair a hundred times, peeled potatoes with his mother, But if you look at his face, he's not a little boy anymore. He's a grown man now. And you see his mother that is peeling spuds there with him. And she's, her hands are quiet. He's telling a story. She's just listening with a faint smile. She's not saying anything. She's just looking at something. What's she looking at? Her boy's home. My boy is home. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you will Be also you plural when we all get to heaven so you hang on father in heaven we thank you for this 4th of July where we remember the awful price that we have paid to be able to turn the lights leave the lights on if we want to and that there is a devil and he stands against God and whatever God has created And that means the creation and man, children in the womb, human life, and right and wrong that govern men and the fear of God. And so he is out for us, and he has marginalized us and you and your word. But you serve the best wine last. First there is the cross, and then there is a crown. And so we will thank you in Jesus' name, amen.